blessings on me, and I know many of you could testify of many things God's done for you, and we need to thank him. He deserves our praise for that. Let's all stand together this morning, Luke chapter 9. I want to encourage everybody as you're standing to be with us next Sunday for Anniversary Sunday. It's a special day at the church. Um, we're going to have a lunch afterwards and a quick afternoon service shortly after that. And our church's uh, starting pastor, Pastor Vrogunder, is going to be preaching for us next Sunday. And we're excited to celebrate that day, uh, have him be here with us for that. And uh, we're going to have some good food. I think we're doing turkeys and ham. And the choir singing a new song on Sunday morning. I'm excited about that. Just looking forward to a great celebration week uh, next week. But as we get here in Luke chapter 9, we're back after about a month off from the book of Luke in our Sunday morning series, This is Jesus. And uh, we are going to begin here looking at verse 37 this morning. So if you would, would please turn your head there and we'll begin reading here. It says, and it came to pass that on the next day, when they were come down from the hill, much people met him. And behold, a man of the company cried out, saying, Master, I beseech thee, look upon my son, for he is mine only child. And lo, a spirit taketh him, and he suddenly crieth out, and it teareth him that he foameth again, and bruising him hardly departeth from him. And I besought thy disciples to cast him out, and they could not. And Jesus answering said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and suffer you? Bring thy son hither. And as he was yet a coming, the devil threw him down and tear him. And Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the child and delivered him again to his father. And they were all amazed at the mighty power of God. But while they wondered, every one at all these things which Jesus did, he said unto his disciples, Let these sayings sink down into your ears. For the Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of men. But they understood not this saying, and it was hid from them that they perceived it not, and they feared to ask him of that saying. Verse 46, and there arose a reasoning among them, which of them should be greatest. And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a child and set him by him and said unto them, Whosoever shall receive this child in my name, receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me, receiveth him that sent me. For he that is least among you all, the same shall be great. And John answered and said, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name and forbade him because he followeth not with us. And Jesus said unto him, Forbid him not, for he that is not against us is for us. Look here at four different sections in, in Luke chapter 9 today. And as I was reading it this week, the Lord led to deal with these all together. And the sermon title today is Protection from Pride. Protection from Pride. Let's pray. Lord, I love you. God, I thank you for your word. God, the privilege that it is to preach it today. And I thank you for every individual in the pew. I pray that you would... Lord, give us what you have for us. Lord, I pray that we'd be strengthened in our relationship with you and our service to you. Lord, I pray that you'd uh, just be honored and glorified in all that's said and done. Be the children in the service in the other building at the, at the time. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In grade school, I was remembering some stories that used to have us read Aesop's Fables. Anybody had to read those in grade school? Just a couple of us? Okay. There was a certain story about a turtle who envied ducks. And every day he was there in the pond and he would see these ducks that they would come in, they'd fly in, they'd land in the water, they'd swim around, have a good time, and then they'd be able to leave. And the turtle loved his home, he was happy with the home that he had, but he wished that he too could fly and see everything these ducks were seeing. And as he shared the, the sadness that he had because of this, these ducks gave him a proposition. They said, we would be glad to help you with this. They brought a big stick to him and they said, we'll each take one end of this stick and 
you bite the center of the stick and we'll fly and you can see the whole valley and everything that's around, that surrounds it. They said, but be quiet or you'll be sorry. The turtle loved the idea and he knew the risk that he was taking and knew that he had to hold on to the stick and as he took hold, away they went and he flew. He saw many things he'd never seen before. He'd never seen the tops of the trees. He'd never seen what the meadow looked like from that vantage point and he saw a different perspective on the world. He was very excited about what he saw, and as he was there, a a crow flew past and looked and kind of double-taked as as any crow would, and he saw the the turtle there holding onto the stick and, and said, surely this must be the king of all turtles. As the turtle heard that, he began to be pretty proud of himself. He goes, you know what, I don't know any other turtles that have ever done this, and he began to think of how great of an accomplishment this was, and as that crow said what he said, the turtle opened his mouth and said, why certainly, and he fell to his death. You know, he forgot how he got there, didn't he? And pride brought him to a fall. In our Christian life, God has given all of us many different blessings, has he? God has given us opportunities for service. God has given us chances to have an impact on others, possibly for the cause of Christ. And there's people that God has used to raise children for the glory and honor of God. And There's Christians all over this world today that have been used by God at one point in their life who have been destroyed by pride. Possibly because they forgot somewhere along the line who got them where they were. Pride is the number one reason that many Christians quit serving the Lord. It's a very high reason why many spiritual leaders have fallen over the years. If we allow pride to come into our heart, it can produce an angry spirit in us. It can lead someone to immorality. It can cause there to be some secret sins hidden in a life. It can bring marital strife. It can bring debt. It can bring many other reasons, many other things. Pride can keep people from serving God. As we look at our text, there's four different divisions of errors by the disciples. And I believe the root of all of those errors was pride. As we look here in verse 37 this morning, the first thing I want to encourage you with today is depend on Jesus. Depend on Jesus. As we began this text, we read this story of a struggling father that came to Jesus looking for help as the disciples were unable to help them. And we look at his problem, and we've seen this problem before in other men and women of the Bible. He had a great problem that his son was possessed by demons. It was no doubt heavy on their family, and he was desperate for Jesus to help them. His son was, had demons within him over long periods of time, and these demons brought hurt to the boy. We read a little bit about, about that in Luke. There's two other accounts in the Gospels that we could look at. and In the Mark account, it says, And oftentimes he had cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. The demons that were within this young boy, they would cause him to injure himself or to try to kill himself and fall on a fire or, or anytime they were near water he would try to drown himself in that water. He was under extreme torment in what he was dealing with. You know, a problem like that would wreak havoc on a family, wouldn't it? Many, many families, many people become defined by problems. As this family lived in the town they lived in, people around probably called him, that's the son with the demonic son. Every minute of every day, the boy had to be watched for fear that he would have one of those violent seizures and he'd be thrown down into something dangerous. And if the father had to leave the house to to work or provide for the family, the mother was left to watch him on her own as she was trying to get things done as well. 
If she had to go to the marketplace, she was afraid that her son would have a seizure there and become a spectacle as, as well in front of everybody that was there. It was no doubt a huge burden for that family. Those demons were trying to destroy that life. I think it's a secret to any of us today that Satan is the destroyer of life and he seeks to destroy the testimony of the saved. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians, For he wrestled not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Satan is opposed to you today. Satan is opposed to anything for God today. He doesn't want you to do anything for God. He doesn't want you to worship God. He doesn't want you to bring any glory in how you live in this world. And what is he going to do? He's going to bring problems. If he's allowed, he's going to bring temptations. He wants to destroy you. And as the devil desired to do with Peter, he wants to sift you as need. He wants to throw your life upside down and to and fro. He wants to, you, there to be nothing good coming from it. Now, uh, Peter wrote later in his life, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walketh about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy anything of value in your wants to ruin your testimony. He wants to destroy your home. He wants to hurt your influence. He wants to drive a wedge between you and those that love you. He wants to drive a wedge between you and, and the church and people of the church. This is a great problem that had risen up in the life of this family. And as they had their problem, we continue on to see the disciples had a problem too as well, didn't they? We look there in verse 40. It says, and I besought thy disciples to cast them out, and they could not. Before Jesus came back to town, at some point the father of this boy went to the disciples to ask them for help. They were doing other miracles that Jesus had sent them out to do certain things. And he says, I asked the disciples if they could help, but they failed. They were unable. And the disciples as well came to Jesus with them when they could not help the boy as we read the other accounts. And, and the disciples, if you look in the Matthew account in chapter 17, they came to Jesus and they asked him, why could we not cast him out? Jesus told them why. Jesus said, because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. And then he said the verse that we looked at a little bit last month, Howbeit this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. He said, Jesus, how come we couldn't do this? He said, you couldn't do it because of your little faith. Let me ask you a question this morning. Was there a lack of power for the disciples? No. There's no lack of experience. They've seen Jesus do this many times. There's no lack of commission. He'd given them permission to do it. There's no lack of privilege. There's a lack of faith. The disciples at this moment had failed to believe that Jesus had made them enough or sufficient for the task and had delegated to them power to be able to do it. And as, and as all this was going down, Jesus looked at these men and he looked at the people all around. It says there in verse 41, and Jesus answering said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and suffer you? Jesus heard the condition of this boy. He had heard the plea of the man. He understood the disciples couldn't do anything about it. Commanded the son to be brought to him. And he looked at the people and said, You faithless, unbelieving, corrupt people. 
He called that audience, including the disciples, the faithless and perverse generation. It reminds me of what we saw a couple months ago in Luke chapter 8. When the disciples were on the boat and the storms came and they were fearing for their life, Jesus looked at them and said, where is your faith? The disciples were trained and equipped to handle the challenges at this point. Jesus had empowered them and from his own disciples, Jesus had a right to expect something other than what had happened at this point. Jesus, we couldn't get this one. The truth is they couldn't. The truth is they couldn't do any of the things they'd already done for Jesus at this point. It was only things that could be done through him. And Jesus told them it was one of those this kinds. They needed to pray and fast. They needed the power of God, not any better methods or, or, or better words. It was just Jesus and the power of God that could do this for this young boy. But they weren't able to see that at that moment. And as Christians, we can manufacture results to a certain point, can't we? We know the right things to say, we know the right things to do, we know the right ways to react in life, we know what we are to do in our life, and sometimes we go through our Christian life in our own strength, don't we? It's pride that has crept in thinking we are capable. Many things we focused on this year, even right now in the, in the story of Elijah, as we look at our theme for the year, we preached all year. It's not about anything that we can do, it's what God can do through us. It's not about anything that we can do as a, as a family together, anything we can do as a church together, anything we can do with another band of Christians together. It's not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit of God that we can do something. It's not by your own skill or by your own knowledge that you can make it through temptation. It's by the power of God you can make it through that temptation. It's by the power of God you can make it through that trial. It's by the power of God you can be the husband or the wife, the mother, the father that you should be. It's by the power of God that we can be the witnesses God would have us to be, not our own. But for some reason, the disciples, I believe, had gotten to a point where pride crept in and they saw what they thought they could do and they couldn't. So Jesus called for the boy to come over and the demons again threw this boy down. Jesus looked at the boy and cast the demons out and he was healed and returned to his father. I love the reminder in every chapter so far in this book that Jesus is enough for every situation. Jesus was enough even when he wasn't there to help the disciples with the task. The problem was I believe they saw it from their own capabilities. You know, personal pride is always going to be an obstacle to your service. Personal pride is going to be an obstacle to being the person, the Christian you should be. We need to humble ourselves and realize it's only by God that we can accomplish his will. So the first way to conquer that pride is depend on Jesus. Second thing this morning, submit to Jesus. Understand why he came. Jesus looked, looked to them and everyone that was there after. He said, let these sayings sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of men. But they understood not this saying. And it was hid from them that they perceived it not, and they feared to ask him of that saying. Jesus again told his disciples he was going to be killed and that he would one day rise from the dead. They heard what he said, but they didn't understand it. 
And we read they were afraid to ask him what it meant. They were unable to understand the truth that Jesus must give his life for the people. They didn't understand the main objective of Jesus' ministry was not just to do what he was doing at this point, but to die for all of mankind and raise from the dead. One day they would understand, wouldn't they? And as we read the remainder of the New Testament, we're going to see these men that are impacted by all that. They preach his death, burial, and resurrection, and many people would come to Christ. But at this time, they didn't completely understand, and many people don't understand in this world either, do they? There's many people in the world that we live in that hear the message of the cross, and they speak of it as foolishness. To agree that Jesus must die so sinners can be saved is more than they want to accept. But that's the truth of why Jesus came, and that's something everybody needs to hear. That salvation only comes through Jesus Christ. We need to understand why he came, but we also need to understand his will is not always our will. Or often not our will. Or not like we want it to be. I believe as we read the other accounts, we look at the thoughts and all the descriptions of what's happening. The disciples did not want to know what they were afraid to know. And so they didn't. I believe everything in them fought against believing what Jesus was telling them here. If you've been with us so far in this series, we've been told this truth already from Jesus. If we, look, if we were to look back in chapter 9, we would find it again saying there in verse 22. Possibly around two weeks in, in hit, uh, before this in history, Jesus gave, told them the same exact truth. He was going to die for mankind. He was going to raise again. And now he looks at them after he does this and after he he's, talks to them harshly and he says, let these sayings sink down into your ears. He wanted to make sure they were not misled by what people were saying about him or, what the miracle, or by the miracles he was doing. But as he said it, the disciples didn't know how to respond. They were confused. They didn't want to ask. They were afraid to ask. Because they had a picture of the Messiah a certain way. We read the New Testament, we see the, these Jews for many years were waiting for the Messiah to come to deliver them from bondage and from captivity, right? They're going to be able to conquer the, the, the Romans. They're going to be able to take care of business with the Messiah as he's coming. And now Jesus is saying, as the Messiah, he's going to be killed by the people he came to save. They were trapped in fear. And they withheld the questions. And all around us, people resist clear evidence and knowledge from the word of God, from the words of Jesus. And they resist it because many don't want it to be true. Because if it's true, then that means we have to change our thinking. If it's true, we have to change our convictions. If it's true, we have to change our conduct. And I want to tell you today, just as Jesus was speaking to them, they didn't, they didn't understand it, they didn't want to believe it, they were confused, they were afraid to ask, but it didn't change the fact that one day he was going to die and raise from the dead for, for all the world. And as many people may try to deny what the Bible says or not want to believe or not want to accept or not want to follow, it does not change that God's word is true and will always be true. And what God has promised, he will accomplish. Submit to him. 
Submit to his word. Submit to what he's commanded us to do. Submit to the truths that he's given us regardless of how it may make us feel or how uncomfortable it might be if we obey it. Submit to the word of God. Don't let pride send you to hell. Don't let pride keep you from living a life pleasing to God. Believe what he says and submit to his will above your own. Depend on Jesus. Submit to Jesus. Third thing, serve Jesus. Verse 46, and there arose a reasoning among them, which of them should be greatest. We need to avoid the wrong perspective. Apparently, the 12 disciples had been arguing over who was the number one disciple. Which one of us is the greatest? And they had all their different reasons. I was just reading this. What caused them to even begin thinking along those lines? You know, we, we skipped the passage of this. We're going we're gonna to get it in just a couple weeks there in verse 27 through 30. We look there and we find the transfiguration of Jesus. Possibly they were thinking these things and the conversation came up because when Jesus went up to the top of Mount Hermon, he took three disciples with him and left the other nine down at the bottom. He chose three of them to go up with them and they witnessed the transfiguration of Jesus. They saw that the miracle of what it was. They saw everything that was there, the glory of God in that instance. And three of them came off the mountain and were excited about what they'd seen. And they might have been saying things like, man, I've never seen anything like that. I've never experienced anything like that. I've, it's the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. And they came back from that experience. They were fired up and they come down to nine men after they enjoyed this powerful experience. Come down to the other nine disciples who are discouraged fighting a battle in the valley. Unable to accomplish what people want them to accomplish. These disciples had been in arguments with the scribes. They'd been ridiculed by the crowd. They'd failed miserably in that spiritual battle. Possibly the disciples were together and they began to talk. And the nine say, what happened up there? And the three that were up there says, we're not allowed to tell you. Jesus said, we can't share it with anybody. And at some point, someone made the case that they should be the leader of the disciples. Possibly Peter said, well, it's obvious that I'm the leader. Remember not too long ago, Jesus asked a question. I'm the first one that actually proclaimed with my mouth Jesus to be the Messiah. And as Peter said that, maybe Andrew's thinking, you know what, brother? That's, he, he was his brother. He said, maybe I should be the one because who introduced you to Jesus? Andrew was the one that brought Peter to Jesus. Andrew was the one that introduced them. And he goes, if it wasn't for me and what I did, you'd still be on the boat fishing. Then James and John possibly heard that, the sons of Zebedee, and they said, hold it right there. We were the, among the first to follow him. We've been there from the beginning. We've been with him longer than the rest. We, we were giving him our own. And then maybe Judas heard it. He said, what about me? I'm, 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 I'm taking care of the money. That's an important task. Nobody else has been given that. We don't know exactly what happened, that speculation, but what we do know is for that question to be asked, Pride crept in, didn't it? Each man thought he was more qualified than the next. Each man thought he was more worthy of honor than the next. Each man thought he should be the leader of the group. And as we understand these disciples were men that walked with Jesus. 
men that love Jesus, men that witness Jesus do incredible thing after incredible thing. If we can look at these men and see them still fall to the idea of pride, do you think that it's possible for you to do the same thing? Look at verse 47. And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, Jesus knew what the issue was. He saw it. They might, they might have been having this conversation in another area where, where that nobody could have even heard what they were saying, but Jesus knew. He knew what was going on in their heart. Pride begins in the heart and must be dealt with on the heart level. It's the root of almost all sin. Because when pride's there, we think that we know better than the God who's given us the commandments and the God who's instructed us. We think we know what's best for us. Pride has no business in your life. And pride especially has no business in service to God. I understand this morning, in comparison to God, you're nothing. I'm nothing. We have no good reason to lift ourselves up. Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, it says, took a child and set him by him and said, Whosoever shall receive this child in my name receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me receiveth him that sent me receiveth God. For he that is least among you all the same shall be great. He said there's greatness in humility. He says, which of you receive, or that word receive means to display hospitality. He says, those that are hospitable to a child, to the least among us, are the greatest. Why, why would he use a child? In that day and age, children in that society were at the bottom of the social ladder. Children in that day were viewed as property, and they were largely ignored by most adults. And Jesus used that child to teach his disciples about service because in the, in the eyes of the people, their children could not do anything for them. They couldn't enhance a person's position in society. They couldn't add to their success. They couldn't make you more important in the eyes of the world. Jesus used a child because children had to be served. And they couldn't serve it back in return. They couldn't benefit somebody else in return. You know, too often, many people in service tend to only serve those who can do something for them in return. But God would have us to serve those that are the neediest. God would have us to serve with no thought of what we're getting back. God wants us to serve those who cannot or will not serve us in return. He desires that we do as he did and give our all for those who may break our hearts in return. Our attitude in service shouldn't, be, shouldn't change based on who is benefiting from the service. As we look in the Bible, who do we see Jesus serving? Jesus continually reached out and, and touched people and helped people that were doing, could do nothing for him in return. We think of a man named Jairus and his daughter. He, this doc, she was dead. He raised her from the dead, this little girl. 
The widow of Nain, a couple months ago we were there and we saw this woman that had nothing and her only son was dead. Jesus went to her, went out of the way for that one woman and he raised her son from the dead. What about the maniac of Gadara, this man that lived in the caves that was possessed with demons and everybody avoided him. He screamed out, he hurt himself. Jesus crossed the water for that one man. Blind Bartimaeus, the thief on the cross. Jesus served many who couldn't do anything for him back. He also served those who could break his heart. He was a servant of the neediest people. He was a servant of those who would fail him, deny him, dishonor him. He was a servant to you and me when he died on the cross. So as we're here this morning, we need to ask ourselves a question. Why do I serve Jesus? Why do I serve him? Is it out of love and gratitude to him, or is it to be recognized by others? If I serve out of selfish motives, if you serve out of selfish motives, what happens if we don't receive the recognition that we think we deserve? We get our feelings hurt, don't we? We, we, we quit. We grow jealous that are doing the exact same thing that we're doing, and they get more recognition. And so often we're like Linus in the Peanuts cartoon. His sister Lucy, she went to Linus and she asked him what he wanted to be when he grew up. And he replied that he wanted to be a humble country doctor. Wasn't, wasn't very prideful. He wanted to be just a humble country doctor. And he said every day, I'm going to live in the city. I'm going to get into my expensive sports car and I'm going to drive to the country and heal everybody. And in the last frame, he said he would be a world-famous, humble, little country doctor. You know, many Christians want to be a world-famous, humble servant of Jesus. Don't serve for recognition. Don't serve so you can benefit from it in one way or another. Serve because you love Jesus. Set your heart on those people that need Jesus without regard of anything they can bring to the table, anything they can contribute to you, anything that they can benefit the church in, set your heart on people that need Jesus. And who needs Jesus? Everybody. Fulfill God's command to go out in the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. We need a heart that is willing to serve the least among us for the glory of God. Don't serve in pride. Don't serve for your own benefit. Serve because you love Jesus. So we've got to depend on Jesus, submit to Jesus, serve Jesus, and last thing, exalt Jesus. In verse 49, it says, And John answered and said, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and we forbade him, because he followeth not with us. And Jesus said unto him, Forbid him not, for he that is not against us is for us. So Jesus shared that they should be serving the least among them. And then John says, oh yeah, Jesus, by the way, something happened while you were gone. We saw a man who was using your name to cast out devils. But don't worry, we set him straight. He wasn't doing it like we do it, and we let him know that our way is the only right way that it can be done. And he is out of business, he's out of our hair. 
He wasn't one of them. He, he followed not Jesus and his men. And Jesus said, forbid him not. For he that is not against us is for us. Jesus responded to him and told him to leave people like that alone. If they're doing good works in the name of Jesus, they're not against him. They're working for him. Jesus even said in the Mark account that if someone gave a disciple a cup of water in the name of, of Jesus, that person could be rewarded for their service. Forbid him not. He's with us. He's for me. And as Christians, we need to protect this attitude and spirit of pride that may creep in that give us the same attitude that those disciples had. Often a church or a ministry or an individual may not do everything just like we do, and many Christians are quick to condemn, aren't we? Quick to judge them, quick to click the chat box on Facebook and tell everybody about it. Quick to try and silence them. If any of us have ever get that way, we need to remember a few things. God did not establish us to be the final determiner of who is or who isn't pleasing him. That's for him to decide. And if the Bible is not being sinned against, if it's not heresy, if it's not a false prophet, leave it alone. The most important thing is whether or not God is getting glory. And when it comes to churches, one size doesn't fit all. This church isn't for every Christian. But God uses people who do things differently than we do. As, as Southwest Baptist Church, we're going to stand by doctrine. We're going to stand on the truths of God's word. But we need to be careful and guard ourselves against judging another ministry or another church or another preacher because they do things differently. There are things in churches that, I, honestly, I don't think are the best. Things that I wouldn't do it that way or I wouldn't say that, I wouldn't do that, I wouldn't be, be there. But it's important for us to understand and remember, even if we may not like a certain thing about someone or a ministry or a preacher, if they love Jesus, if they're preaching the gospel, we're in the same business. We're on the same team. Even if we don't love their methods. Okay, pastor, are you going to water down the Bible? No. <laughs> Can we live contrary to the Bible? No. Are we going to change the church to operate and, and be a little more comfortable to certain people? No. We're going to preach Jesus. We're going to reach others with the gospel and operate as we feel convicted God would have us to operate according to his word. But you know what we know from Jesus here? We need to stop putting down other people, stop putting down other churches, and focus on exalting Jesus. Don't allow pride to creep in. Pride is the enemy to dependence on Jesus. Pride is the enemy to submission to Jesus. Pride is the enemy to serving of Jesus. And pride is the enemy to exalting Jesus. But when that pride is removed, we've made room for Jesus to work through us. 
You know, John Bunyan said, he that is down needs fear no fall. He that is low, no pride. He that is humble ever shall have God to be his guide. You know, we look at the disciples, and we read it. We know the Bible. We know the rest of the story. And we read this, and we are a little annoyed at their attitude, aren't we? <laughs> I'm preaching about them. I'm preaching against the decisions they made. It's silly for them to argue which of them's the greatest. But Jesus chose those men. Jesus loved those men. Jesus used those men. They, they wrote a lot of the New Testament that we have. They had some things to take care of. Pride needed to be removed. But even with these faults and attitudes, Jesus used them to do incredible things. You know, you might be in a struggle right now. There may be some mistakes that you've made. There may be some pride that is in your heart. And you, and you look at your Christian life in terms of influence or what you've done for God. You don't see any fruit. You may look at your life and see failure. You may be here today with a hurting spirit, a bitter heart. Remember these four things. Don't rely on self. Depend on Jesus. Second thing, don't seek your own will. Submit to Jesus. Don't think of yourself too highly. Exalt Jesus. Don't live for self-promotion. Serve Jesus. Protect your heart from pride. In a service, a, a life of service without that, will bring honor and glory to the one who's commanded us to serve him. Every head bowed, every eye closed.